Look, this morning is the second part of our three weeks that we're spending uh, in this passage from Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 14. Um, and it's been wonderful. I'm not sure how it's been for you guys, only one week in. I feel like I've already become very steeped in this passage, just the rich blessings being washed over us again and again, uh, in hearing them read, preached, sung about, um, and then it might have to do with the study that happens in between in preparation for the next week, but it's wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and it's really just a, a passage where we are caught up in the grace of God, of what he's, what he's giving to us, to the people that he loves, his beloved through Jesus Christ in our unity with him. Now, later on in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes a prayer that I think we're very familiar with. He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you might be fulfilled with all the fullness of God. And last week we considered a few of the blessings from this Ephesians passage and we saw something of the dimensions of God's love for his people. We saw how God's love stretches back in time from before creation when he chose us to be his people, that we would one day be people that were seen in his holy presence as holy and blameless ourselves. We also saw that one day, now and one day, we will be lifted up into the heights we saw above and up of his love, lifted to the heights, the pinnacles of glory known only by the sons of God. And this week we consider two new dimensions of that love. Rather than looking to the past and above, this morning we'll be seeking to ponder some of the fathomless depths of his love and the future of his love found in the blessings of redemption and forgiveness, and a future unity with Christ that is coming. And as we do so, we'll continue to pray, as we started to last week, that if we have grown dull to the wonder of these blessings, if we've grown numb to the work of Christ in our lives, that we would come out of that, that through his work in the Spirit, through hearing his word, that would be awakened again, not as a work, but just as a, as a response to his word and be able to praise God. Let's take a moment to pray over this message, over ourselves and over the people around us in our church, our families. Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't come into this professing a great knowledge, a great understanding, Lord, having any strength in and of ourselves to comprehend and understand and really, Lord, know what's going on. Now, Father, we pray that this morning as we, we look at your word, Lord, that you would continue to be gracious to us, 
Lord, in revealing and giving us understanding beyond, beyond that which might be academic, Lord, but an understanding that, that sinks deep into our hearts. Lord, that uh, sheds light on who you are, on who we are and the people of God and our standing before you, Lord, not as people that are considered just vile or just sinners, just poor, but as people that are rich in you. Open our eyes and give us understanding, Father, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. In a city on the shore of a great lake lived a small boy who loved the water and sailing. So deep was his fascination that he, with the help of his father, spent months making a beautiful model boat, which he began to sail at the water's edge. One day, a sudden gust of wind caught the tiny boat and carried it far out into the lake, out of sight. Distraught, the boy returned home inconsolable. Day after day, he walked the shores in search of his treasure, always in vain. Then one day, as he was walking through town, he saw his beautiful boat in the store of a window, the window of a store. He approached the proprietor and announced his ownership, only to be told it wasn't his. For the owner had paid a local fisherman good money for that boat. And if the boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the price. And so the lad set to work, doing anything and everything, until finally he returned to the store with his money. At last, holding his precious boat in his arms, he said with great joy, You are twice mine now, because I made you and I have bought you. Now that's just a simple story with the purpose of showing us a basic outline of redemption. That a payment is to be made to be able to secure the release or the freedom of a person or a thing. That a payment is required. But as I've considered our passage this morning, what strikes me most about this story and this boy and his boat is the motivation what motivates this boy to sacrifice and to work and to pursue the return of this boat? Just so that he can have it back with him in his arms. It's love, isn't it? This boy loves his boat. And so he would seemingly do anything to be able to get this boat back to himself, to have it returned And we read our passage this morning. In him, that is Jesus, you have been redeemed by his blood. One of the great blessings that we have received from the Father is that we, like that boat, have been redeemed. 
We are the objects of redemption. And like the motivation of that little boy is that our redemption was motivated by love for us, God's love for us, the Father and the Son. As I said last week, quoting Packer, there are two great yardsticks by which we can measure God's love for his people that are seen in Scripture. The first is adoption to sonship, how he didn't just justify, but that he lifted us up to the incredible heights of being his sons, of inheriting the inheritance of God, all of his riches. And the second way that we can measure is the cross. Thomas Watson, uh, let me read from 1 Peter first. You know that it wasn't with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed. From that empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Thomas Watson, a 17th century Puritan, wrote concerning redemption that the son of a king, for the son of a king to redeem a captive at great financial cost to himself would be an act of love and show great love. But for that same son of a king to redeem the captive by trading places with him, by dying in his place. That is a matter of wonder. This is the love that motivated Christ to redeem us. To be set us free from our sins, to be, as our passage says, forgiven. I wonder if you've heard of the name Albert Speer. Albert Speer was the Hitler confidant who kept the Nazi factories running throughout World War II. Out of the 24 war criminals that were tried at Nuremberg, Speer was the only one to admit his guilt. And as a result, he served 20 years in a Spandau prison. And at one stage, after Speer had been released from prison, he gave an interview at Good Morning America. And the interviewer referred to a passage in one of Speer's early writings. He said this, You have said that the guilt can never be forgiven, or should be. Do you still feel that way? Speer responded, I've served a sentence of 20 years. I could say I'm a free man. My conscience has been cleared by serving the whole time of my punishment. But I can't get rid of it. This new book that he was talking about is part of my atoning, the clearing of my conscience. The interviewer asked, you really don't think you'll be able to be clear of it totally? And Spear shook his head. I don't think that will be possible. 
there is a man that is captive to sin. A man held captive by chains of guilt. Yes, his crimes, his sins were horrible. But even after paying the price of 20 years in prison, it was not enough. He knew, didn't he, that the price of redemption, of his forgiveness, was so much higher. 20 years in prison wasn't enough to clear him from being guilty anymore. A few weeks after the interview on Good Morning America, Spears passed away. As far as I know, he died a captive to that guilt. Now, it may be tempting for us at this stage to be able to compare sins. What are my sins in comparison to someone who was a convicted Nazi? But we have all committed sin, haven't we? Don't we all fall short? Haven't we all in this room felt the chains of guilt bind us to death? Guilt that haunts us in the eyes of the people that we love and that we've accidentally sinned against or intentionally sinned against. Don't we see it in the life circumstances, the things that change because of what we have done? Guilt that, like spears, we know cannot be paid off by anything that we do. No matter how long we are punished in our own prison, even if it's another type. No matter how long we suffer the consequences. But then we have our passage this morning. Then we have this great blessing of redemption that Jesus came to pay the price of our sin. Not in part, but the full. To take upon himself all the guilt, all the shame of every sinful action of those that he has chosen, that he wants to be in his presence, called holy and blameless in his sight. All of it. And he paid for all of it. By dying on the cross. Because that was the price that was required to set us free. Blood is the price of our redemption, our forgiveness. Well, John Calvin said this in preaching on this very text in Geneva in 1558. God puts our sin out of his remembrance and drowns them in the depths of the sea and moreover receives the payment that was offered to him in the person of his only son. And so we are redeemed. It is a past tense. Those who believe have received redemption, have been forgiven, set free from sin, And we also know that we are a chosen people, predestined 
for adoption. These are huge things worthy of praise. And not wanting to speak little of any of them, don't you at times in considering their magnitude and the beauty of these blessings in one hand, seeing all of God has given to you, but then at times look at the other hand and see what life looks like as a believer. And the struggle with sin that it seems to continue to burn, that at times you continue to feel like you're struggling with guilt, that it doesn't seem like it's entirely been dealt with. I thought unity with Christ, sharing in his glory, might look a little different. I didn't expect it to be glowing. But I thought it would be different. Now that's a little comical, but I'm certain that we get the point. I don't believe there would be a person here that didn't at times look at the promises of redemption and of freedom from sin and wonder where they are. Sometimes to have questions, to experience frustration, disappointment, confusion with what are God's plans? What are his purposes in the here and the now. Heavenly Father, did you send your son to die in my place and redeem me so that I could live like this? Do you remember the first time that you read Paul's words in Romans chapter 7? I don't understand what I do, Paul says. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. When I first read that, even heard it read, even as a child, I was like, yeah, (laughs) Paul gets it. This is a frustrated believer. Is this what we have been redeemed to, to what appears to be a midway place between heaven and hell? to get hold of all these blessings that are ours, that have been given to us and filled with a desire for them to only feel like we've been stopped at the doorway of the kingdom. If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. Paul, Psalmist, many here, we've felt that way. But this is not the conclusion of the plan, is it? For one of the blessings that we have received and we see in our passage is that we have been given a knowledge. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. For a time, frustration, but in time, glorification. The here and the now is temporary. There is a day coming 
when we, along with all of creation, heaven and earth, will be filled, will be fully and wholly and completely unified with the Son. A time where our transformation into the likeness of Christ will be complete. It will be finished. A time when we will know freedom from sin. When we will be like that boat in that little boy's arms, held by the Father, where he whispers to us in love, twice owned. I have made you and I have bought you and to be treasured forever by him. From Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning in labour pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we have been saved. Now, this is the great blessing of this knowledge, isn't it? Hope. That we can be like children waiting for Christmas to come. That we have a hope of a joy-filled future that lays ahead of us, that strengthens us and endures us to persevere. Because soon we will be united to the one whose love is described in the verses we read even at the beginning of this message. A love that seems to go on forever in every direction. Height, breadth, width, depth. It's got too many dimensions. Whose love moved him to willingly give his life in place of ours just to redeem us, to bring us back. The very one by whom we receive all of the blessings of heaven. That is the one, Jesus, who we are being united to forever. From Revelation. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and opens its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Let's pray. From Paul's words in Ephesians. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things of, from the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Heavenly Father, Oh, how you love us. Lord, even in that description, wide and high and breadth and depth, it's unfathomable, the love that you have for us. That you would put yourself in a place your son in a place where he would trade places with us, with creation that, that walked away so that you might bring us back to you. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have provided for us in ways that far outstrip birds and flowers. You have redeemed us from the past. You've guaranteed us of a future and you have strengthened us for the present. Is there anything that you haven't done? Lord God, we continue to pray that if we have sat here this morning and these words from you, from your word, have washed over us without impact. Lord, one that we can rest in a knowledge that we aren't saved by our own understanding, but Lord, that we would wake up, we pray, to be able to delight in the good gifts that you have given us. Because they are good and you are worthy to be praised Thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.